25 as we continue our study, Christian Character Building Initiative, and our next installment. If you have your outline, I'd encourage you to get that. As you find 1 Samuel chapter 25, I did forget one announcement, and so um, uh, some of those, Erica Stevens and Val Cooper helping decorate the gymnasium, I believe. They're in need of a globe to use for mission conference, but there is a catch. They're going to cut it in half, so you have to be willing to give it up, okay? And uh, so, in other words, it's not to loan them, all right? So, uh, if you have an extra globe sitting around or something maybe you've been wanting to get rid of, taking up dust or anything like that, and you wouldn't mind donating it for decoration for the missions conference, then Erica will be glad to cut your world in half, amen? And uh, whatever the case may be. So, see Erica Stevens or Val Cooper, that'd be great, all right? First Samuel chapter 25, and trying to keep tonight's message a little short, understanding with Pee-wee and Patch and things like that. Children, we have the uh, the bucket of treats up here and so you come see us after the service if you would we'll be up here but we want to get into it we've started with our definition of initiative and my goodness I'll tell you my friends I think initiative is one of those needed characteristics that uh, is so lacking in so many today and boy it makes a house run well a home it makes a church run well it even makes a workplace run well as a as a supervisor as a boss you love to have employees that show initiative and and I was thinking about this you're we are never too old to show initiative. Amen? You can always show initiative. And so I think this study is great and a challenge to all of us. Remember our definition. Recognizing and doing what needs to be done before I'm asked to do it. So having my eyes open. We talked about it as we do through our studies. We asked what does that look like? And a couple of weeks ago we said it, it looks like expanding or it could be described as dis- expanding my world by exploring new areas of interest. Having my eyes open, a willingness to look into things, not stuck in the rut, not uh, just uh, unwilling to look outside of my own comfort zone, but a willingness to, and a boldness to open our heart and mind to be moved and peaked about something, a boldness to step forward and explore. And remember, we talked about this. It requires a level of inquisitiveness. Is someone taking care of that? Hey, is someone going to pick that up? Is someone going to do that? And a level of inquisitiveness, really a curiosity, inquiring, eager to look into something. It also requires, and we see this maybe lacking, (laughs) maybe the older we get, but in many people today, it also requires a desire to learn new things. I don't know how to do that, but I sure am willing to help out in any way I can if you want to teach me. Boy, what a display of initiative. I'm not sure how to do that, but if you need somebody, I'm your guy. Sign me up. I'm your lady. And so it it sometimes requires learning new things. We saw it illustrated a couple weeks ago with the raccoon, and then the life of a cupbearer turned into a contractor, right? A wall contractor. And uh, there in good old Nehemiah and the reality of what God led him through and his willingness in that way. Great study. Encouragement. So tonight, we want to add to that. You see it on your outline. We're going to see that initiative can also be described as this. Taking the lead in order to relieve pressure from those around me. Taking the lead in order to relieve pressure from those around me. I love this, this definition or this description, really, of initiative. Young people, you think about this. I like this, okay? Mom and dad have you lined up in a group where as a family say, hey, we need somebody to do this. And as I like to say, too often there's what? Cricket, cricket, cricket. 
Nothing is heard except a little cricket, right? No one volunteers. But boy, when mom and dad ask you to do something, hey, can somebody do this? I, I love it as a coach, you know, uh, uh, the team. Hey, somebody grab those. I'll do it. I'll do it. And immediately somebody taking, showing initiative, relieving the pressures of others. Hey, can I tell you as a pastor, I sure am glad to be surrounded by people who show initiative, initiative with Pastor and Pastor Tony. Our deacons, there's sometimes in our deacons meeting, I'll say, hey, I need a deacon to do this. And one of the men will speak up, I'll do that. And I'll tell you, that relieves the pressure on all the de- other deacons, amen. It's relieving pressure. It's speaking up, saying, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. Taking the lead in order to relieve pressure. Okay, let's look at our Bible example first and foremost. You can imagine for me that uh, if you were to able to see the scene that's laid out for us in 1 Samuel ch- chapter 25. We'll get there in a moment. But if you and I were able to see the scene, immediately our eyes would be filled with the landscape uh, to the far horizons of hills and rolling hills that were filled with sheep and goats. And when I say filled, I mean they were filled. They were too numerous to count. And everywhere you looked, there were sheep and there were goats as far as the eye could see. If you were a predator, you'd think, oh man, this is easy pickings. This is like an American buffet, Amen. And you take whatever I want, and it'd be a piece of cake to go out there and find food and so forth. But amazingly, not one animal was missing from this entire herd of sheep and goats uh, that belonged to a wealthy man. Why? Well, it just happened to be a band of men, a a group of warriors that were in that same area, and they took it upon themselves, literally, don't miss it, they showed some initiative to protect and watch over this man's herd, and honestly, to protect the shepherds that watched them. In fact, later on, after they did so, one of the servants, one of the shepherds would be reporting to the the, the mistress of the house, his, his owner's wife, and this is what he said. Look with me, if you will, in verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Notice what this servant says. But the men, and that's the band of warriors, but the men were very good unto us, and we were not heard. Neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day. All the while we were with them in keeping in the sheep. I love that statement. Now, you say, how many uh, sheep and goats? Well, the Bible tells us there were 2,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, or 3,000, excuse me. My eyes are not doing so well reading back there. 3,000 sheep and 1,000. Could you imagine? All I can think of is that's a lot of noise. Okay, the bane of the sheep and so on. That's a lot of noise. And you think it's spread out. And that, that would take a lot of shepherds if you really think about it. And uh, uh, that's a ton. Well, time came for the shearing of the sheep. And this man gathered his folks to Carmel. He brought in all these herds. And that would have been some kind of thing. My goodness, to watch all those sheep and all those goats herded together. And uh, specifically the shearing of the sheep here and so forth. And this man, this wealthy man, Gathel, and you may have already guessed his name or looked ahead. His name was Nabal. And as Nabal did so, he gathered his flocks. And as he began the process of sharing them, the leader of the band of men, these, these warriors, he, the leader sent a delegation of men to see Nabal, to see if he'd be kind enough to share some of his provisions in response to the protection, the kindness that they had showed his shepherds and his flocks there in the wilderness. But boy, it did not take long after their arrival. Young people, listen to me. He, he just refused them. He scoffed at them. He mocked them. He said, who are you? I don't even know you. Why, why do I owe you? I don't owe you a cent. And boy, he just rejected them and kind of sent them on their way, empty-handed, disappointed, and with their tail between their legs. 
They came back, and you can imagine if any of us ever have bad news, and, and maybe our heads are hanging low, and they came back to the leader of the band, and he probably said, okay, where, where are the donkeys with the provisions? I don't see any donkeys. What, what, what did Nabal send us? Is he going to bring it later? Is he going to send it? And they said, no. And their leader's name, you know him, his name was David. So David, he's not sending anything. He refused us. In fact, he, he really mocked you and he mocked us. And he said, hey, I'm not giving you anything. Why? I don't owe you anything. Well, after all that David and his men had done, he, David was pretty angry. Look with me, if you will. Look at verse 21. Let's see David's response when he got the word. Verse 21. Now David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness, protecting them, taking care of his flock, so that nothing, notice that, nothing was missed of all that pertained to him. And he hath requited me, paid me back, evil for good. We know what David is, right? David's a man of action. David's a warrior. And so what does he do? He gathers 400 of his men. He leaves a couple hundred by the stuff, as it's described, protecting their things. Like, we're going to go pay Nabal a visit. Now, this wasn't a friendly visit to borrow some sugar. We're going to gather. We're taking it. Grab your swords. We're going to go make this right in his mind. Now, what do we have? We have the buildup for a situation that wasn't going to be good. Now, let's understand a little background. Nabal, his very name means what? Fool. Fool. That's the literal meaning of his, his name. In fact, later his wife will allude to it. Hey, what his name is, he's all about folly. <laughs> a fool and his folly. And she alludes to that. His name is fool. In verse 3, if you look there, the Bible calls him, he says he's evil in his doings and describes him as this. A churlish man. Not somewhat of an archaic word. Churlish it simply means that he was cruel, he was mean, he's unkind, severe. He was not the kind of man you want to be around, nor would you want to work for him. Now I could ask and I say, hey, raise your hand if you've ever worked for a churlish man, <laughs> severe, cruel. Maybe you've been under somebody that's just, man, just unkind and, and just mean. And uh, many of us have been in diff many different jobs. And so, so probably somewhere along the way you had either a supervisor or a boss that would be described as this. One of his own servants in verse 17, this is something to say about your boss, right? He said, he's a son of Belial. Now listen to this. Young people, listen to me. This is what, how else he describes Nabal. He says, no man can talk to him. He is unable to be appealed to. You can't go into him and say, hey, you know what? I'm concerned about this. David and his men come and say, hey, we showed you great kindness. We gave you protection. Why, we just like something in return if that's okay. And, and you can't appeal to him. You can't talk to him. You can't reason with him. Young person, can I tell you, don't be a Nabal. Allow yourself to be appealed to. Allow someone to come to you and talk to you. Be open. Don't let it be said to you of you that you're bullheaded. You're stubborn. You don't listen to anyone. Boy, how sad it is when I hear someone say, well, I've tried to talk to so-and-so, but they just don't listen. I've tried to, uh, to encourage or exhort or, or even confront, but they just don't listen. They're bullheaded. They're stubborn. However the description is, don't let that ever be said of you in description of you. Don't be enabled in that way. 
Now understand also in that day here, you say, well, why did David go and ask of Nabal? Why, why you know, okay, Nabal's stuff, can't he say what he should do with his own stuff? Well, understand in that day, it was, it was very normal, not unusual, that for a farmer, when harvest day came, or the day of shearing your sheep and so forth, they would put on a huge celebratory feast. In fact, they would invite much of the town and the country. In fact, they would also invite many of those who had helped them in one way or the other. And so they would, it would be a time of celebration, a great feast gathering together in which the, uh, they would get. And what's interesting, don't miss this. Okay? Later on in the chapter, you know what Nabal's doing? He's feasting. So this was normal. You, know, you get done with the work, and you know, like for us, boy, maybe at the end of a hard day of work, we love sitting down at the table and eating, amen? And so you can imagine at harvest time, time when the sheep were being sheared, this was normal, and you kind of invited your neighbors. You invited all those that had given you aid while you were doing your farming and so forth. And so yet Nabal snubbed David and his men. He didn't show initiative in reaching out to them. Honestly, Nabal should have sent messengers. Hey, David, thank you so much. I didn't even ask you, but you showed initiative protecting my shepherds and my sheep and my goats. No, I didn't lose one. Could you imagine However long this season was, they had 4,000 animals out there and didn't lose a one. It's pretty amazing. He should have reached out to them. And when he didn't, David sends a, a little entourage and to politely ask for provision. And yet Nabal, when in the time of feasting, the time of sharing, uh, boy, he snubs him and insults him and it was inconceivably inappropriate under those circumstances it was almost as one commentator described as almost like a declaration of war in Nabal's very words we didn't have the time to read it but Nabal basically says who's David how many people are out there like David and rogue scoundrels basically is what he intimates how many people who is David who are you and it's like, well, we were the ones who helped you and, and showed you aid. Now, this, young people, this is the moment where our spiritual example, or our biblical example enters. The hero of the story is the one who shows initiative, and her name is Abigail. Abigail. Abigail comes on the scene, and as terrible and as evil as Nabal was, Abigail was the exact opposite. I love the scripture's description of her. She was a woman of good understanding and a beautiful countenance. Good understanding and a beautiful countenance. Uh, I often sit here and read this story and you, you say, man, how in the world did she ever put up with Nabal? Wives, it ought to make you thankful for your husbands, amen? If, the, uh, if they're not churlish, Amen. How does she put up with them? How does she get, get this, and here she is, she's a nice lady, good understanding, beautiful countenance. We'll never know, but here's the neat thing. Regardless of that environment and what she had to face, the fact is she had good understanding and it produced an initiative that positively impacted those around her. Number one, can I encourage you tonight to realize that your initiative will benefit others? What's one of the great commandments? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Yes. But what's the second one? Close into this is love your neighbor. Show love unto your neighbor. Look out for them. Put them first. In the New Testament, it's like, hey, prefer others above yourself. It is a repeated uh, command. It is a repeated encouragement and, uh, for obedience that you and I love others. And can I show you one of the ways you can love others is by showing initiative. 
Because your initiative benefits others. Verse 15, uh, that servant came to Abigail and she's like, man, he's like, Abigail, this is bad. This is not gonna go well. We have heard about David. David was nice to us. We read that servant's account. They were nice to us. They protected us. I love that description. They were a wall for us day and night. Man, they treated us well. And he says, Abigail, when David's men came and they just politely asked for some provisions and uh, he says this in verse 15, your husband, Nabal, my master, he railed on them. You ever have somebody scream at you, yell at you? Railing, I mean, that's, he railed, and that's not a pretty picture. It doesn't sound very good. And so Abigail hears that, and, and she doesn't waste any time. She immediately hops into action, and she shows, remember our definition, she shows initiative to relieve the pressure on everybody in that situation, okay? Over here, you have David. What's David doing? He's gathering together his 400 men. They got their swords on, and they have one task, one thing in mind. We're going to get Nabal. You have Nabal on this side, and here he is, and, and uh, he's, he's stuck on himself. Who are they? I don't care about them. I'm just going to ignore them. And boy, he doesn't realize it, but he's about to face his doom. And Abigail steps into the, uh, the picture. Here she is. She understands what's going to happen. So she gathers provisions and uh, food and things like that. She sends them ahead of herself to David and his men. And then she herself follows to meet him. Look at verse 18, if you will, with me. Look at verse number 18. And uh, we'll read verses 18 and 19. Then Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep, ready-dressed, and five measures of parched corn, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on asses. And she said unto her servants, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she, not, she told not her husband Nabal. So it happened. See, David was on the move. He was likely said, where is this Nabal guy? And his guy said, hey, they're, they're in Carmel. They're sharing the shave. And he said, we're, we're going there. And so you can imagine he was on his way there, and it was going to be trouble. They were going to rumble. Things were not going to be pretty, if you can imagine it. But long before Hollywood and Hallmark came along, God had a way of putting a story together and orchestrating things. You know what's pictured here in 1 Samuel chapter 25? I love this picture. Okay? Here's David. He's got his 400 men. He's all uptight. He's angry. He's mad. He's ready to have it out with Nabal. And there is Abigail. She's riding on her donkey. She sends the food away. And the Bible describes her coming over a hill. So you can imagine Hallmark style. There's David leading his 400 men, and all of a sudden he, he catches a glimpse of these donkeys maybe laden with some service leading them, and all of a sudden this lady behind them coming up over the hill, and maybe the sunshine was behind her just perfectly, glistening through her hair. And there's David, and it kind of like, whoa, 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 sir, man. And she comes down in the valley, as the Bible describes there, and she comes up to him, and, and let's be honest, all right, let's be honest. David was probably first captured by her beauty. Okay. The Bible says she was what? Of a beautiful countenance. But he would soon learn that the beauty of this lady was not on the outside, it was on the inside. She was a woman, a lady of good understanding. She showed initiative to really, shall we say, take the air out of the balloon, to relieve the pressure in this situation by showing initiative. And I love that description that we have of her. Because he comes to find out. And so she comes, she falls down before him, and let's read what she says. Let's pick up in verse 23, shall we? Look at verse 23. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the donkey, the ass, and fell before David on her face, bowed herself to the ground, now notice, and fell at his feet and said, 
Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thy audience and hear the words of thy handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard the man of Belial, that's her husband, even Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name. Fool is his name is really what she says there. And folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, which thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. The souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. Notice verse 30. And it shall come to pass that the Lord shall have done to thy Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel. Verse 31, that this shall be no grief unto thee, no regrets, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt with thy Lord, then remember thine handmaid. I love this reasoning. Abigail comes and reasons with David on many levels and really with many thoughts. She takes the transgression on herself, okay? And you can imagine it's hard for David to be mad at her. She says, hey, this is my chance. Put it on my account. I lay it to my charge. And I ask you for forgiveness for the cruelty that you've suffered at the hands of my husband, Nabal. He is a son of Belial. He is, he is what his name says he is. He's a fool and he does folly. And then she appeals to this, and do not miss it. She says, do you realize, David, that me coming and meeting you here, this was God using it to prevent you from committing murder. He has put me in your path. He has led me in my stepping out an initiative so that you could be blessed, that you would be prevented from doing something that you would regret in the future. She reminds him of Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35, that God in heaven is the avenger. Not you, David. He's the avenger of their wicked. And you can just imagine in that moment, could you, what, what's David thinking? Who is this lady? What? Man, those are some good thoughts. She has good understanding. David's all consumed with anger and malice and repaying. Huh? I'm going to pay him back. I'm going to get this Nabal. How dare he treat me like this and my men? And man, he wants to pay him back. And here comes this lady. She brings a gift. She says, lay the sin at my, at my door. Would you forgive me? And David, would you consider that God sent me to prevent you from doing something? Did you catch it? That you will regret when you're king of Israel. For the rest of your life, your heart would prick you. And God in heaven sent me to prevent that. Her reasoning stops him in his tracks. He goes no further. Can I just tell you right now, what do we say? Well, your initiative will benefit others. First of all, can we put it this way and explain it? The fact is her initiative benefited her whole household. Several times in this passage, David says, I'm going, I'm going to kill every young boy. I'm going to kill all the men. And there's not going to be anything left of your household. You know what I find amazing? Nabal, in the moment, doesn't even realize it. His wife 
showed initiative that benefited him and he doesn't even realize. And I like that because you know what, young person, listen to me. Maybe you're going around the house, maybe you're at school, maybe you're at church or somewhere else, an adult, maybe you're at work and you show a little initiative to do something that isn't your task, to do something to, uh, just to relieve pressure on others and nobody notices it. Boy, aren't you grateful and thankful that God in heaven notices? He, he's going to notice. He's going to see it. He sees all of it. And boy, when you and I show initiative, sometimes people that we show initiative for don't even recognize it, don't even do it. I, I think so much. My goodness. I'll, I'll walk around the church sometimes and find that somebody has done something that needed to be done. I'm like, I don't know who did it, but Lord, would you bless them? They've shown a little initiative. They, they took care of something that needed to be done, and they saw it, and they just did it. They recognized the need, and they took care of it. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's, that's wonderful. Every, so often at, the, at, at home, the same thing happens, and boy, I'm so thankful. Somebody just recognizing the need, showing initiative, taking care of it. Sometimes you, know, you won't be recognized, and somebody won't notice how you benefited them, but boy, God in heaven does. And your initiative will be a benefit to others. Furthermore, as we've already detailed, her initiative benefited David. Uh, he would have been a murderer, described as causeless in killing Nabal, an avenger of his own blood. God said, don't do that. I'll take care of avenging the wicked, unless he certainly would have told David to do so. But in this case, he certainly didn't. And so David would have lived with regrets for the rest of his life. And so the, the divine implications of what happens is this. Don't miss it. You know what she said, and David will confirm, is this. Number two, your initiative as a child of God, as a follower of God, your initiative will bring glory to God. So not only will your initiative benefit others, but your initiative will bring glory to God. David hears what Abigail has to say, and he responds, and he speaks, and he acknowledges this. Look at verse 32, if you will, with me. Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. A couple of verses later, he says, The living Lord stopped me from hurting Nabal's household, killing them. This is great because why? Abigail is showing initiative, and God gets the glory. We are reminded that you and I are created for his pleasure. We are created to bring God glory. And now as we live this new life in Christ, as believers striving to please and glorify him, we can do so in these new lives we've been given through showing initiative. And boy, the times that we are guided by God to show initiative, we bring him glory. I like this. Can you imagine uh, what happened? Abigail falls down before David. She stands up or, or looks up maybe. Maybe she's still on her knees as she's speaking up to David. And could you imagine the effect that it had on David? I, I just imagine, I can think going into war, you're, I mean, if they're riding their own horses or donkeys or whatever, maybe they're marching. Could you imagine what that would be like? The men here, could you imagine going off to war? Some of you could uh, picture it as going to hunting, right? The adrenaline's pumping, you're ready to go, and maybe playing a sport or as an athlete, and boy, you're just pumped up, and here is David, he's angry, he's mad, his nostrils are flaring. Here comes this lady, and he starts, she starts reasoning with him. And can I just tell you, it would have been fun to see the countenance of David change in that moment. The anger just kind of melt away. And she says, David, put that to my charge. David, listen, God sent me right here to stop you from doing something you're going to regret. And I believe as maybe his senses came back to him, as she reasoned and had good understanding, he just melts and his, his countenance changes completely right in front of her. Uh, the hostility drains from his, his heart is affected. And he realizes, wait a second, I was about to do something in anger and haste. 
And out of a spirit of avenging and revenge without much grace. And boy, God has spared me. And he praises the Lord God Jehovah for doing what? Sending Abigail. But can I remind you, it took someone who followed God, Abigail, to show a little initiative. Say, oh, this isn't going to be pleasing to my God. I need to act. I need to do something about it. And I love David's response. We already read verse 32, but look at it again. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. Look at verse 33. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which thou hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, which hath kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hadst hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light, any that pisseth against the wall. Verse 35. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him and said unto her, go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. I love what David says. Verse 33. Did you catch it? Your advice, your counsel, whoo, that's blessed. I can hear God speaking to me through you. It's good advice. It's good counsel, Abigail. It's good understanding. And then he says this, and then may blessing be upon you, Abigail. You're blessed, and may God continue to bless you. Do you realize, number three, your initiative will benefit others. Number two, your initiative will bring God glory. Then number three, we'll say this, your initiative will be a blessing to you. Your initiative will be a blessing to you. New Testament, Paul was on his journey and he was uh, gathering together some of the preachers, the pastors of uh, different churches and he had gathered together the elders, the, the preachers of Ephesus and he was talking to them likely the last time and he was giving them encouragement and, and we find something interesting that we don't see recorded necessarily uh, anywhere else but Paul, Paul says, let me remind you of something that Jesus said. And you can imagine the pastors kind of tune up, and it's something that we like to say, and especially come Christmas time, uh, and so forth. He says, let me remind you what Jesus said. Do you remember what it was? To those pastors at Ephesus, he says this. Jesus, let me remind you the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now think about it in context of what we're showing here. Because the same is true when you and I show initiative. When we, when we show initiative, we give of ourselves to do something, we are more blessed than when somebody might do something for us. We are blessed in displaying and showing initiative. And it plays out in Abigail's life. Do you remember the amazing end of the story? And this is great. I mean, this is one of those Old Testament stories like, wow, they should make that into a movie. She goes back home after this meeting with David. David goes, he takes his provision. He says, I'm done with it, Lord. Thank you for intervening. Thank you for sending Abigail. Abigail goes back home. Abigail gets home, and guess what? Nabal's feasting, and he's kind of out of his mind feasting and, and partying and everything else. And she says, okay, I'm not going to tell him what happened. I'll tell him in the morning. And so she does. He wakes up the next day. He's a little bit more sound of mind. And the reality is, she goes in, she goes, Nabal, I just want to tell you what I did, why I did it, and what happened because of it. And she tells the story. Hey, listen, David was coming with 400 men and you weren't going to live out the day i took provisions and i went and i pleaded the cause and david um, turned around the bible tells us that in that moment at the news nabal's heart turned to stone whatever that means in what degree coma or whatever it was the fact is then we read 10 days later nabal died 
And then a few days after that, a short time after that, Nabal's, uh, David sends word and to Abigail says, I'd like for you to become my wife. So in a very short time, Abigail goes from being the, uh, shall we describe it, the husband of a churlish man, a very mean and unkind man, a severe man, to becoming the wife of the future king of Israel. She herself was blessed in many different ways because of her initiative. Also, we can see her initiative blessed, proved to be a blessing and benefit for many others around her. And then I think most importantly, can I tell you, every time you show initiative like Abigail, you get to bring God glory. So reality is, boy, this week when we see opportunities to show initiative, when something comes up, when there is something thrown in our way that we can say, hey, I I can do that. There's a need and I'm going to rise up to meet it. And maybe it will relieve pressure to other people. And I'm going to show initiative. And in doing so, I'm going to benefit someone else. I'm going to bring glory to God. And really, I'm going to be blessed because why? Jesus Christ himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So even through showing initiative, the fact is, boy, we have much to gain. We have much to impact others and fulfill the call to love our neighbor. Scriptural example, okay? How about nature, okay? Let's make it real quick. We're just going to go fly through here, okay? But let me ask you this. Do you recognize the animal here? You say, oh, yeah, that's a swan. It is, but you know what kind it is? This is called a whistling swan or also known as a tundra swan. In fact, as yeah, it's smaller than probably the more well-known trumpeter swan, and uh, it weighs about 2 to 12 pounds less than its cousin, the trumpeter swan. You say, well, how do you tell it apart? Well, there's a distinguishing yellow patch found right there in the mandible. You see where the arrow is pointing? And it discerns them. You'll be able to tell a little bit uh, the difference between a whistling swan and a trumpeter swan. Some other things that are notable about the whistling swan, its rib cage and back bones are fused together. Only the neck and tail are movable. Its bones and quills are hollow, as uh, in uh, some other birds, to help with lightness and with flight, to be able to fly. Um, how many feathers do you think it has? There was one that was counted as having 25,216 feathers. I'd hate to be the guy who had to count that. But on average, they say they have over 25,000 feathers. As you can imagine, it aids and helps in flight. It also provides insulation. There's also padding for some very sensitive skin underneath. Interesting, I didn't know this. It has, some, it has black web feet, but they're actually much larger than a goose's feet. Uh, it uses those feet to help glide across the surface of the water. If you've ever seen one in the water, they can move pretty fast. And I didn't know this. I didn't realize it. But in shallow water, bodies of water, they use that web feet to stir up the bottom and uh, therefore reveal food that it can then eat and so forth. And crustaceans and some other things that it likes to stir up. So it uses its web feet to do that. Um, it also takes uh, about five to six years for a swan to completely mature. A young swan is called a cygnet. An adult male is called a cob. I <laughs> think they could have come up with a better name. But anyway, a <laughs> uh, cob is what that's called, an adult male. So why in the world is it called a whistling swan? Well, it's because of the sound that it makes. It's a little bit different than a trumpeter uh, thing. It's, it's a higher pitch. In fact, some have called it more like a soft musical note and so forth. And so um, if you want to get close enough to find out the difference, go ahead. Um, how in the world does a swan show initiative? In other words, how does it play into this? Well, you might have witnessed the swans in their migratory flight. I mean, 
flying north and south at the seasons and so forth. When they make flight, they come together, they join together, and there have been flocks that have been numbered at 500 birds together. And uh, boy, you don't want that flying over you, right? And uh, 500 birds together flying over. Amazingly, I, I, I did not realize this, but amazingly, they can fly so high, so high that they're literally almost invisible from the ground. They can reach an altitude of 6,000 feet. That's pretty amazing. I mean, you think about that. That's, that's up there. As I said virtually in, in, invisible. They can fly over huge mountains. They can bypass storms that way because they can fly so high and so forth. And so if you're ever up in a plane, you have a gun, you can shoot them up there, right? And Because uh, they fly. They fly in the V formation. We know that rail. And that's a huge advantage to the area of speed. And this kind of blew my mind. I, I double-checked it, triple-checked it. And do you realize that they can reach speeds of 100 miles per hour with a tailwind? They have literally been clocked at 100 miles per hour. Wow. I almost want a pet swan just to see. That's pretty amazing. 100 miles per hour with a tailwind. They've been clocked. Additionally, it's been calculated that 25 swan flying in a V formation, they can go 70% farther than one swan by itself. And therein is where they show initiative. You see, we know and we understand that flying formation of the V. The reality is that lead swan breaks the trail as it's called. And the others, it helps the others. They benefit. The air resistance is lessened. And so with regular intervals, if you were able to watch them over a long period of time, they would show initiative in taking turns to go up and being the lead bird in this formation of the V. And by taking the lead position, they benefit flying friends in the journey. They relieve the pressure on one another that flying does, and it just breaks down that air resistance and so forth. So they are able to travel great distances at a great speed, all by each one showing initiative. My friend, can I just simply remind you as we close tonight, what is initiative? It's recognizing and doing what needs to be done before I'm asked to do it. Number two, we said this. It's described as taking the lead to relieve pressure. It's stepping out. It's a boldness. It's me showing initiative uh, to relieve pressure on those around me. How do we do that? Or what is the benefit of that? Number one, your initiative, it'll benefit others. Number two, it will bring God glory. And my friend, uh, God is always good to repay righteousness. Your initiative will be a blessing for you. Let's go out this week and show some initiative to the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for the teaching he had. Thank you for the encouraging song service we've had with Patch and Pee Wee and them ministering to us tonight. Bless them for doing so. And Lord, I pray this week that we would show initiative wherever we are at, here at church, at home, at the workplace, at school, uh, so that we would bring you glory. Maybe realize that this is another aspect, another way for us to love our neighbor by taking the lead to relieve pressure on others. I pray there be some students here who show some initiative to relieve the pressure on their teachers, their fellow students. I, I pray, Father, there be some children in, uh, here that at home would, would take some initiative. They would leave, relieve the pressure on their parents. Father, I pray for some adults and others who work here. I pray we'd show some initiative to relieve the pressure on our coworkers, on our bosses, our supervisors. And Lord, I pray through it all that we would have a heart to show initiative to bring you glory. Thank you for the examples of Scripture and from nature. Thank you for your grand creation. Lord, we're grateful that you show things to us that we can learn from. Bless us now as we go from this place. We pray that you alone would get the glory and the honor from all we say and do and think this week. May we come back on Wednesday ready to worship you and, and Lord, ready to serve you. And may it just be a sweet time together as today has been. We love you much. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.